Welcome to another episode of Axe the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. We are recording a bit early this week, aren't we? Yes, we are, because I'm going to be in LA tomorrow for an event, and then I'm busy with some other meetings on Friday, so I guess we have to record on Wednesday instead of our usual Friday slot. Yes, it feels a little bit strange. I feel like I'm about to start the weekend, but no, I'm actually in the middle of the weekend. I'm a little salty about it. This has been the slowest week. It it has. It really has. I just, I feel like I'm in limbo and I'll never get out. I swear to God, yesterday was Tuesday and I felt like Thursday. <laughs> if only. I don't know why, either. It's just, the last couple of weeks have felt like they've taken years off my life. Yeah, um, I understand America's going through a lot of crap right now, so I, I understand where you're coming from. <laughs> well, thankfully, uh, ho- whoever's listening to this podcast can have at least a little bit of an escape from the ongoing horror that is our news headlines. But yeah, let's talk about some RPGs. This week, we are going to be looking at the state of JRPGs in 2020. Uh, I We've already done, we took a look back at the past decade. We've kind of touched on this topic and alluded to it, but I think it's interesting to take maybe a somewhat closer look at this particular subsection of RPGs and talk about kind of where things stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Uh, it's just nice to kind of sit back and see where we are. Yes, uh, I, I would say that things are better than they have been in the past, so there's a positive for you. Yeah, there's some good news for all of you out there. Like, um, I think we talked quite recently about just the, the dark period of RPGs, which was kind of at the beginning of the 10s. Um, so now we're going to look kind of at the sunny side of things. And then next week, we're going to continue on with our console RPG quest with a special guest. We'll be talking Ooh. about... The Sega Dreamcast. Ooh, exciting. So. I'm very excited. I don't know who this guest is. Yes, it's a secret, even Ooh. from Nadia. <laughs> it's a secret to everyone. All right. Axe of the Blood God is a U.S. gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are sold. You can find me uh, on email at cat.bailey at usgamer.net if you want to send a note. Or you can find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. My DMs are open, so... Send me a message if you want to comment on the most recent episode. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. Uh, we also have a, a newsletter that goes out every single week. And this week I did the newsletter. Mostly I wanted to keep the discussion going about where RPGs have been over the past decade. And as I was writing the the note, Nadia, it made me feel like, you know, RPGs are pretty darn strong right now. Yeah, um, like I was saying, they're definitely in a better place than they were just like maybe 10 years ago. And um, it, looking forward to the future, we have a lot to look forward to as well. Yeah, in the piece, I wrote how 10 years ago, uh, people uh, a commonly held piece of wisdom was that RPGs would be kind of on their way out, like these really in-depth single-player experiences mm-hmm. would be on their way out in favor of mobile games and browser games and online games and it hasn't really come to pass if anything rpgs are more popular than ever because they create so much of that wonderful thing that all media people are looking for which is god god help me for using this buzzword engagement (laughs) you gotta have the engagement cat you gotta have the engagement but uh yes at some point developers realized um 
I guess with games like The Last of Us and the new God of War, et cetera, et cetera, and Witcher, of course, where it's like, not everybody wants to play an online game. I mean, as much as I love the likes of Final Fantasy XIV, sometimes I want to be with myself and play my own story. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, okay, so I spent a lot of time thinking about which games are going to hit, which ones aren't, which ones we should be covering. And there, some of the prestige games even, it's kind of remarkable how fast they can kind of come and go. Mm-hmm. Whereas it feels like RPGs just stick around, right? People are spend hundreds of hours in them. They become fully invested in the world. They just fall in love with them, right? They do. And I think social media has a lot to, I don't want to say blame, but like has a, has a big hand in that. Like um, people are still memeing the hell out of Fire Emblem Three Houses. Like I saw a fantastic comic the other day where the um, the new the new house, the Cinder Wolves, uh, someone made up a story for them where like they have to live in the sewer because they asked Lady Rhea if they could form an anime club and Lady Rhea said no, anime is a sin. So they had to go underground. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, Fire Emblem Three Houses is a game that can last a couple of hundred hours. You oh, know? yeah, easy, easy. Because there are multiple storylines to play through. Honestly, if I were not in the games industry, there's a non-zero chance that I'd still be playing Three Houses. Yeah, same with me. Um, I still have the two, two uh, stories to go through, and I want to go through them because the characters are interesting, the story is interesting, and... Uh, let's face it, Fire Emblem has a lot of characters you can really latch onto and like just digital hugs. You want to give them digital hugs. Yeah, I think the secret sauce is any game where you can become fully invested and you're not just a passenger in the story. Yeah, which is very much the case with Three Houses. Um, even though Byleth is kind of a, a blank slate, that's the whole point. Speaking of which, I played as Byleth this past weekend in Smash and oh. holy cow, she is so OP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Hiran wrote a whole piece about her and how she plays. And uh, so is she hard to get a hold of? Because sometimes I have a hard time with the RPG characters. No, she almost instantly, I, I almost instantly was able to grasp her. Like, so she has this ridiculously powerful forward uh, forward attack that has a ton of range. And you can just spam that sucker <laughs> like nobody's business. <laughs> That sounds about right. Would you say uh, Hiran was right in calling her more than just a quote-unquote sword fighter? Totally. Because, okay. uh, so sh- she has a regular sword, but then, like, if people are in the air, she can do this almost grappling hook attack that yes. will yank them down from the air. Ooh. And she also has an uninterruptible axe attack. Wow. That is and by the way, I keep referring to Byleth as a she because as I tweeted, we do not acknowledge male Byleth in this house. <laughs> <laughs> but I acknowledge male Byleth. I play as male Byleth. I play as girl Byleth, and that is how it should be. But okay. yeah, no. So like Byleth is ridiculously easy to learn. I was like, oh, well, even when they nerf her, she's really fun to play as. So I'm going to keep playing as her. Yeah, because I can see them nerfing that axe attack for sure. Although like I would always say to beginners, oh, play as Kirby because Kirby is also OP as hell and very easy to use uh, him and Jigglypuff. So I guess he got this really interesting trio of, of beginner characters where you have Jigglypuff, Kirby, and Byleth, who has, like, bristling with swords and axes. A character, an RPG character who is a lot harder to use is Hero from Dragon Quest. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I have a hard time with Hero. But I've really kind of made it my business to learn him because he's a lot of fun to play as. Yeah, he is. Like, I, I like the sword fighters in Smash. Um, I tend to stick to Ike, though. Do you know which Hero skin I use? Oh, no, um... Take a guess. 
five. No. Really? Oh. Yep. I use the Dragon Quest three one because uh, I just like that. It's I just like the classic look of the Dragon Quest. It is very very classic Loto the, the kind of Goku easy like sketch that Toriyama did back in the day. I really actually dislike the main character from Dragon Quest Eleven because for some reason he has that '90s haircut. <laughs> you know, totally you know what does. I'm talking about the '90s emo haircut. And uh, yeah, where uh, he's got that like piece of hair always hanging in his head in his face, and it's like, dude, just please put that back or cut it off. I, I don't care. Do something. I'm not joking when I say that it is actually really distracting to me and is probably lessening my enjoyment of that game. That's actually really funny. <laughs> I have to admit that makes me laugh. I might, um, if if not for the fact that he's that powerful, I probably wouldn't include him in my party. I, I would say like put put a helmet on him. He has he has like armor. You can put a helmet on him. But Hero is really hard to get a hang of. But once you do start to get the hang of him, he can be quite good. Um, I my favorite thing is when I can manage to get a hold of uh, I think it's called Magic Burst or something in the Magic menu. Yeah, and it creates a gigantic area of effect attack that will just completely wreck everybody if they happen to be in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, and he also has the kamikaze attack, as I, as I recall, which can really just destroy everyone's day. Yeah, if you... But you gotta be careful, because there have been a couple times where I've accidentally used kamikaze and just died. <laughs> well, it is kamikaze. But the trick is, you gotta keep hopping around um, with a charged fire attack. If somebody is below you and it looks like you're in a, uh, or they're like trying to get you, you can do the up and B and do a whirlwind type thing, a charge whirlwind attack that can actually do surprising amounts of damage if you catch a large number of people below you. So he's definitely a nuanced character. He's not someone you can just spam the buttons and hope for the best. And he's a lot of fun. So I've kind of gotten used to him. And it's fun to when you get into the victory screen, you see the three slimes and then the hero comes <laughs> yes. down to attack them. So. Yes, I absolutely adore the work that Nintendo puts into these third-party guests. Like, they just treat them with, like, enormous reverence. Uh, I really appreciated that when Mega Man first came on the scene. And this was at a time when Mega Man Media was just non-existent. So seeing, like, his final smash where, like, they acknowledged, like, all the, the Mega Man just kind of coming in and, and blasting the hell out of whoever. Like, that was a big moment for the fandom. So a little bit of news before we continue onward to the main topic. Uh, first piece of business, Fallout 76 is going to be getting its long-awaited NPCs in April, hey! Yeah, uh, that should be really interesting, and they're adding a storyline and, and all the crazy stuff they left out the first time around. You know what? I'm probably still not going to be playing Fallout 76, though. I think uh, like someone asked on Slack, I don't know if it was you or Katie or Eric, like, hey... Who's going to be playing it? And there's the crickets, except for I think Jake was like me with a sad face because I think he's doing the guides. <laughs> well, it's going to have a revamped version of the original main quest. So it's going to have an actual honest to God story now. I am actually really curious to see where this goes because I am always very intrigued about uh, developers who really stick to a game that flopped the first time around, like A Realm Reborn or, or No Man's Sky. I really want to see if Bethesda's going to A Realm Reborn. Uh, fallout 76 i mean no <laughs> <laughs> well there you have it folks they've done a lot of work to try and improve it certainly a lot more work than's gone in, than has gone into anthem yes definitely um they are trying and i have to appreciate the fact that they are trying fantasy star online 2 is going into open beta yes i'm very very eager to try that 
Um, my husband's actually really into the idea as well. I know I'm all into Final Fantasy XIV right now, but uh, I will definitely make some time to see if I, I like uh, Fantasy Star Online too. I want to play as a Newman. I have no interest in playing Fantasy Star Online 2, but I wish you Godspeed. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I know that Mike is, is was pretty big into the original Fantasy Star Online, so he's looking forward to this. Yeah, that's going to be a major topic of conversation when we do our Dreamcast console RPG quest. Yeah, I never got into the Fantasy Star Online universe, and I always wanted a chance to do it. Um, I've had friends who really swear by Fantasy Star Online. I blame Fantasy Star Online for ruining Fantasy Star. <laughs> it's definitely different. Like, I know that they don't really follow the canon that was established in the Genesis games, and that's a bit of a shame because I, I still find the um, Fantasy Star storyline to be one of the most interesting in RPGs. It should be a much more major RPG franchise than it actually is, but Fantasy Star Online let it down a path that I don't particularly love. Yeah, I guess that's too bad. I I really do hope that Sega one day kind of pulls back and and gives us a, you know, a full Fantasy Star game that's single player and really kind of evolved alongside uh, what we have for RPGs today. Like an open world Fantasy Star game that's not online, I would be down to try that. Yeah, me too. And I guess I sort of like if you want to talk about how big RPGs can be, the right RPG with the right name can be one of the biggest games released in a year, right? Uh-huh. I mean, just by virtue of its pedigree and its relationship to Fallout uh, New Vegas, Outer Worlds was able to get a tremendous amount of hype. You're telling me that a true a single player fantasy star a true successor to Fantasy Star 4 wouldn't be one of the most hotly anticipated games of the year that it came out in? It would definitely. Um, I don't know. In North America, I don't think Fantasy Star name really went as far. Certainly not as far as Final Fantasy. It would definitely be a huge hit in Japan. I am curious to know what they could do, though, because Fantasy Star 4 actually wrapped up the whole like quadrilogy, however, whatever word you would use for that. Start a new trilogy. <laughs> yeah, I would say, okay, start a new trilogy. With new characters, because, again, this is a very interesting galaxy. I do like the fact that we are playing in a solar system, an entire solar system, instead of, like, you know, the typical uh, kingdoms or whatever. And lastly, uh, this is kind of, like, sketchy in terms of RPGs, but I included it anyway because it's at least of interest to our audience. I got to check out Neo 2 uh, last Mm. week as of the release of this podcast, and I had a frank chat about difficulty with the... Uh, with the producer of Neo 2 from Team Ninja. And so you should go check that out on our site. That sounds really cool. Um, the thing I love about Neo was that scene where the guy pulls the cat out of his like kimono to check the time with the cat's eyes. Like That, to me, is one of the greatest scenes in video gaming history because it's so serious and played so straight, and then this cat comes out. <laughs> it's oh, I'm, I mean, the original Neo, I wouldn't exactly say played it straight. <laughs> No, but just the one scene when you single it out and you're showing it to someone, you think, oh, this is a, this is a serious conversation they're having, and then <laughs> and then cat. Neo 2, uh, one of the reasons I think it might be of interest, especially to RPG fans, is that, especially compared to Sekiro, but even next to Dark Souls and Bloodborne, it has a ton of systems. Mm-hmm. Um, so would you say it's, uh, like, did you like the original Neo? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I was too looking for you. Yeah, it's just, uh, I I think that the Soulsborne games are a little intense anyway. Mm -hmm. And when I play them, I prefer to play the real thing. But I know what you mean. Yeah. I have no beef with Neo. And I enjoyed my time with Neo 2. It's quite a lovely looking game, actually. 
Yeah, the first one was actually a great looking game, so I imagine the second one looks better, if it, like if not as good as better. As a character builder now. Oh, that's interesting. That sounds really cool, actually. I prefer character builders because I like to be able to create a character that I can kind of stick myself in their shoes, and it's uh, it makes it a lot easier for me to get into that particular game. Yeah, so maybe this that'll be the catalyst that you need. Okay, Nadia, it's time to go on to the main topic. Let's talk about the state of JRPGs in 2020. Don't go away. So one of the things that Jeremy always harped on for a long time was that he didn't like the term JRPG because he saw it as, he was just like, just call them RPGs. <laughs> yeah, I think the that. reason that I kind of persist with going with JRPGs is because it's a common term and people use it and stick with it. So it does have meaning. But beyond that, it also speaks to a, like a fairly different lineage. Mm-hmm, definitely. I mean, it's, it's, you could use it as shorthand for console RPG. But also, it extends back to manga and that kind of thing. Yes, with uh, the Dragon Quest series, with uh, Yuji Hori started like Dragon Quest specifically because he wanted a game that was as accessible as manga. Yes, exactly. So while Dragon Quest certainly borrows heavily from Wizardry and Ultima, as we've said so many times before, it really was intended to be a manga-given video game form, and so many. RPGs, JRPGs have kind of fallen in those footsteps, whereas the PC RPG kind of lineage goes more toward Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, definitely. Uh, one difference that I noticed with uh, RPGs versus Western RPGs, um, and I do fully admit that my Western RPG uh, knowledge is far, far less than what my JRPG knowledge is, but I kind of associate Western RPGs with making your own character, rolling them up very much the same way you would with a D&D game, whereas with a JRPG, you are getting usually a set protagonist, a set story, and you are told where to go and what to do, whereas a Western RPG, say like Skyrim, is much more, hey, the world is your oyster, and you are the person in charge, so so do what you will. Yeah, I think Skyrim might be the Ur example of a, a PC RPG uh, in this day and age. Once upon a time, BioWare was very good at creating taking tabletop rules and creating the making big budget RPGs like KOTOR out of them. And then you look over at Final Fantasy IV and you have, and then you look over at JRPGs and like Final Fantasy IV has almost no story choices or even much customization, but, and it plays out almost episodically like a, like various manga arcs or anime or that kind of thing. Yeah, it definitely has like story arcs that come and go and characters enter and exit your party so it is very very heavily story based and your customization options as you say are extremely limited so if we're going to look back like 10 years ago i would say that the state of jrpgs were very different as we alluded to in our rpg best rpgs of the decade episode that we did last week i mean okay let's let's put ourselves back in 2010 uh so final fantasy 13 is just about to come out yeah, yeah, and uh, there was a big fuss over it coming to Xbox. Uh, PSP was one of the main venues for RPGs at this time. <laughs> yeah, and I was thinking about, like, um, I did some reviews for PSP RPGs on uh, for GamePro, like the magazine, way, way back in the day, and I still have, like, some of those early builds of those, like, dungeon crawler RPGs. It felt like 
you either had a big budget JRPG or practically nothing at all. And even 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 relatively major series like Dragon Quest Nine were coming out on the DS. Yes, uh, Dragon Quest Nine, as good as it was, it definitely felt scaled down from eight. And it didn't feel like there was a lot of room for mid-tier RPGs. It was either super budget, like crazy budget, or like relatively high end. Uh, it didn't feel like there was a lot of middle ground. No, definitely not like today where, as we said in the past, people are releasing like RPGs on every conceivable budget imaginable. Or at the very least, we had games like Persona 4 and that kind of thing, but they were being released on more or less last-gen consoles, and they were more cult favorites, that kind of thing. Yeah, Persona was definitely not a household name, um, maybe until Golden, and definitely not until 5. Yeah, I mean, we hadn't gotten uh, Xenoblade Chronicles about 10 years ago. It might have been in development at this time, uh -huh. but Monolith Soft was kind of on the down low. Um, we were getting Falcom games, but again, quite niche. Final Fantasy was a bit of a wreck. <laughs> Pokemon was Pokemon was around. So Pokemon it was always there for you. No matter what happens, Pokemon will be there for you. We always had Pokemon. And as we were talking about uh, maybe 10 years ago, we were making fun of anime a lot more than we do now. We really were. Um, it wasn't the kind of mainstream uh, pastime it is now. All right. Let's talk about kind of where JRPGs are right now. So like I have some generalized observations, all right? Mm -hmm. Generalized observation, right, number one, uh, the main franchise, franchises like Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy have stabilized, and the same could be Square Enix. Uh, Final Fantasy XIV, big driver of JRPGs and of Final Fantasy right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, don't mind the fire truck in the background. Uh, yes, I think Square Enix uh, in the Final Fantasy XIII era was really kind of a mess. I mean, they were, I think they were, it's fair to say, they were quite a mess until quite recently. Um, but finally they got Final Fantasy XIV under them. They, they're doing really well with that. They got Kingdom Hearts 3 out after many, many years of teasing. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake after, again, it was in development hell and it, it's coming out soon. So they've, um, they've done something to kind of get themselves in shape and I, I'm glad about that. I think Dragon Quest XI being released as a prestige title on the playstation 4 on switch is a kind of a big deal actually it is yeah um nintendo back in the day tried really hard to make dragon quest a household name it didn't didn't really take and i really appreciate that they are still pushing very hard to make dragon quest a household name and to their credit they are finally getting there um the dragon quest 11 has cleared a million copies uh easy and the, previously the record holder was Dragon Quest Nine, so people are it's certainly not Final Fantasy, but people are getting into it. I mean, if you look back a decade ago, I, I already mentioned that Dragon Quest Nine was on the DS, and Nintendo. I mean, when Nintendo was throwing its weight behind the remakes for five yes, and six, that's right, those were there. But ultimately, they were remakes of sixteen-bit RPGs, so their ceiling was a little bit limited. Yeah, they were definitely kind of budget titles, and I'm still glad that they were there because a lot of these games, uh, Dragon Quest uh, two, three, and four, extremely hard to find on the NES even now. If you, you if you're gonna do it, you gotta pony up a lot of money. So for a lot of people, including myself, like this was the first real experience with some of these Dragon Quest games, like especially five, which was just totally missed the U.S. for for a long time. 
Yeah, Dragon Quest X was on the Wii. I remember sitting around going, when's Dragon Quest X going to come out on the Wii? <laughs> never. And it was like, the answer was never, and I'm kind of glad because uh, screw MMORPGs. <laughs> <laughs> now, see, I definitely want to go for it. I definitely want to try it. When I was in Japan talking to Yuji Hori, I was like, um, question, when is Dragon Quest X coming to the U.S.? And I was like, uh, no plans at this time, which means that that's PR speak for never. <laughs> uh we speaking of uh, MMORPGs and mobile games, I, I think that JRPGs have expanded onto new platforms, and you've seen it with Pokemon Go, mm-hmm. which went into the ARPG kind of thing, but also Gotcha games. Oh yeah, uh, Gotcha games really exploded. The first time I even saw a Gotcha game was like, I think I mentioned this. I played Gunbound like back in the aughts, and I saw these. They weren't gotcha, but they were in-app purchases, and I'm like, what the hell is this, and how are they getting away with it? This is terrible. Uh, this will never, they'll never get away with this, and they got away with it. Um, that was also the era when I was uh, reviewing a lot of mobile games, um, and I did notice that, I, first of all, there was a real glut of MMO, mobile MMOs back in the day. I think most of them are probably gone or shut down or whatever. Uh, most of them... Uh, I think most of them came out of Korea, and a lot of them were really, really well built, but they all had these really really crazy gotcha systems yeah i think i've mentioned on this podcast before that i play a fair amount of fire emblem heroes (laughs) yes (laughs) that is your sin everyone has their mobile sin and that's yours It's my vice yes and i think the reason that it attracts me is because i like the art yes the art's very good Um, yeah it's very cute the sprite based i prefer the sprites versus the kind of 3d look of fire emblem three houses same yeah I like the collect- the collection aspect. I like obsessing over all of the different stats and abilities and builds. I enjoy obsessing over team composition. And I enjoy tackling some of the harder kind of endgame type maps. Yeah. Um, one thing I actually wrote recently on the site, and you can go back and check it out, I talked about why Nintendo's mobile efforts, like they not to say they're not making any money at all, but when you look at the charts uh, uh, that like uh, you can see online, the only game that's making it really a lot of money is Fire Emblem Heroes. And I explored, why is that? And I think uh, the conclusion I came to is a lot of what you just said. Fire Emblem has a lot of appeal collecting these characters that you love and these, you know, using them on these maps that are actually you know quite fun and surprisingly well-built. Whereas Mario Kart, it's like, oh, I'm supposed to pay money so I can maybe collect what gold mario big deal like he doesn't have a story except he's mario and he's gold yeah i think that goes back to the way that rpgs can create communities as we were kind of talking about earlier and with fire emblem heroes the fire emblem heroes subreddit is very active it's constantly being filled with fan art and memes and that kind of thing and people gripe about the end game and uh, you know (laughs) Uh, some of the map design and all of that, but they care. Yeah, exactly. Like everyone, people are going to complain. There's something you can do about that. But an active community is is a huge factor in whether or not a game will survive past its initial release. And Fire Emblem, as we have discussed, has a huge community of people who just love these characters so very much. Yeah, and it's really expanded the single player aspect of it as well because uh, it just wrapped up book three and it's now into book four. So. You got a lot of single-player maps in that game. You do. Um, I re-downloaded it, and I had to delete it again because my phone didn't have enough space on it, but I should download it again. I was on 
God, I don't even know if I finished book one. I think I might have finished. I was just on book two. So I had a long way to go, but I was really surprised at how much every day is like not just the, the single player content, but every day you had your quests, you had your draws, you had a lot of stuff to do. Fire Emblem Heroes is one. Uh, there's a game that we barely ever talk about on this podcast, but honestly is one of the biggest deals in the anime slash RPG space, and that's Grand Blue Fantasy. Yes, that's huge. That's absolutely huge. Um, uh, we don't know it as well over here because it's never really been um, on mobile. You can only really play it through browser if you're an American or through, by I don't know, having a VPN or something. I don't know how all of that works. but Yeah, um, similar, same heritage, I think, is Final Fantasy Brave Exvius, which is also huge. And you can actually play that here. Uh, that's another game we don't really talk about very much. I, I don't play it myself. Same with Record Keeper, another pretty big uh, community. So yeah, RPGs definitely have their their mobile entries. Yeah, uh, and like as we were already saying, with Grand Blue Fantasy, it actually looks a little bit like Valkyrie Profile. Does it really? Yeah, it has this anime. Uh, I mean, it's heavily anime, mm-hmm. and it's from it's a from a side perspective, right? So yes. when you're actually battling, it's more of a menu based, like party based kind of thing, as opposed to individual characters moving around a, a map grid. Yes, that's definitely what they do for uh, Final Fantasy Brave Exvius, and they have like all these versions of the characters you can collect. So I'm like, oh, I want Kane, but I also want Dark Kane and Kane without a helmet, and then <laughs> can just go and on. Baby for Kane, ages. And <laughs> old Kane. <laughs> I could go on forever. Yes, uh, there was a good uh, Pro ZD skit about that. <laughs> he does the best skits about RPG characters. Yeah, I well, you did an especially good one about Gacha games. I think I might have seen that one. I usually uh, watch all of his uh, RPG skits. So on that tip, we have lost some of our most prominent creators to mobile, unfortunately. Yeah, um, some of them came back, but not all of them. Yeah, R.I.P. Hironobu Sakaguchi. Come on, Sakaguchi, we just want another game from just you. Come I back. Don't want to be on mobile. Come on, we love you. Just uh, you're not happy on mobile. You can't be happy on mobile. I, I remember that he said that he was working on some sort of RPG for console, but we haven't really seen anything. No, he's been very quiet. I don't know what he's doing right this second. I don't know if he gave up on, what was that game he did, Terra something or other. Um, Oh, yeah, I don't know. I know that he's working on new projects, but I don't know. Maybe he's just going to go retire to his bathtub full of money. (laughs) (laughs) Swimming pool full of money. I'm glad he has that swimming pool full of money. He deserves it, but I'd love to see him just kind of come back and, oh my God, can you imagine if Final Fantasy sixteen he was like a guest uh, creator along with Yoshi P? That would be like... Holy guacamole. That would be a big deal if he came back to Final Fantasy. It would. It would be huge. I wonder if he could. It's never going to happen, though. No, but you never know. I don't know. It's a, it's a strange world we live in. Those bridges were burned 20 years ago. <laughs> True, they are cinders, aren't they? All right, so JRPGs have benefited from the spread of very accessible technology and engines. It feels like even budget games can look really good with a little bit of cell shading now. Yeah, uh, not just cell shading, but also uh, some clever sprite work. Uh, Stardew Valley is a perfect example of that. We remember looking at that game and saying, this pretty much resembles Final Fantasy VI in many, many ways. And it's still a game that looks really lush and pretty if you are if you look at it from the right perspective. Yeah, let's talk about Stardew Valley for a little bit. I don't really think of it as an RPG per se, but it definitely, its appeal is rooted in nostalgia for 16-bit RPGs. It definitely is. I mean, there are uh, areas where battles are quite important, and you do build up your stats and get new equipment and stuff like that, but um, there is a certain 
RPG grinding element to it that's very, very attractive to many people. I think the dungeon crawling is, like, whatever. I think that the dating sim element is what grabs people the most. (laughs) Well, how could it not? Poor Shane. I tried to rescue him. I think the thing that people like the most about it is that you can date anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really nice. The fact that you can just date, like, any gender and it's it's not made a big deal of. It's just like, oh, okay, you want to be with a guy? Sure, go for it. Everybody's bi. Yeah, that's that's my motto for life. Everybody's bi. And there are some characters who are like, oh, wow, I'm... Wow, I just discovered that I like girls. Wow, what is what are these feelings? And I'm like, yes, come over. <laughs> come over here. The door, the door has opened. <laughs> yes. You're discovering things about yourself that you never knew were possible. It's actually, it, it is kind of sweet because I was a guy when I played and I, my first guy was Sebastian. He's like, just kind of confessing to me on the cliff overlooking the city how he never felt that way about a guy before. And I was like, aw. Uh, yeah. What's the name of the, the purple haired girl? Oh, shoot. I can't. It's not Ashley, is it? Um, no, it's not Ashley. E- the one who eats rocks and is the illegitimate <laughs> yes. daughter of the wizard. <laughs> yes, she, she eats rocks and is the illegitimate daughter of the wizard. Yes, she, I mean she's like going, oh wow, like I never liked girls before, but now I want to marry you, <laughs> <laughs> and that's all it takes. But again, like uh, Stardew Valley's appeal heavily rooted in anime, even though it was developed by somebody. I mean Eric Barone, who's decidedly not Japanese. Yeah, he's just one dude working on the game and still working on it and just recently got a massive update. So, uh, yeah, but the influence is certainly Japanese. Yeah, there's insidious spread of anime and, and whatnot. Do-do-do, the anime and your children, the corruption is real. And another one's Cosmic Star Heroine, which yes. ultimately uh, they worked really hard on it and it didn't really take off, unfortunately. But, I mean... It's so rooted in nostalgia for classic console RPGs and definitely anime, or especially 80s anime. Yeah, like that TurboGrafx uh, kind of uh, simple but really appealing anime they used back in the day. I would love to see that game get a little bit of rebalance and, and kind of get a re-release. Uh, you know, getting back to the, the how it can look good with a little bit of cell shading, I, I think Fire Emblem Three Houses is just a perfect example of that. A game that, by any measure, is not technologically sophisticated. No, it's not. Has kind of meh animation. If you look at it closely, the backgrounds aren't super great. But, you know, with a little bit of cell shading, a little bit of an artistic touch and memorable characters, whatever, it looks great. Yeah, I feel like we're at a point where um, certain elements of graphics can definitely overshadow other elements for the better. Uh, I think Fire Emblem Three Houses is a great example because Garrick Mock is ugly as hell and is really uninteresting, but I do kind of like the way when you're in battles, the camera zooms in and you get to see everyone just kind of charging at each other. I still think that's really neat. Um, I guess another example is um, Pokemon Sword and Shield, which, yes, the uh, wild area does not look all that great, but someone actually put up a video of all the animations that all the different characters used just to throw Pokeballs, and a lot of work clearly went into it. Like, if you look at the way the gym leaders move and and challenge you and the animations they use, it actually, everyone has their own individual personalities, and I feel like that really got lost in the discussion about, oh my god, look at those trees. Yeah, I think that it's because people, especially a certain generation, grew up playing mobile games and Minecraft and that kind of thing. So we're still into really gorgeous games where like high technology games are a big deal, but they don't, it doesn't feel like a 
deal breaker to play an old game now. In fact, yeah. some of the biggest games of 2019 had decidedly primitive graphics. I mean, I, in my opinion, Untitled Goose Game was the game of 2019, and so is Disco Elysium. And, I mean, nobody's going to call those games uh, technological wonders, right? No, I mean, look at the years before. Uh, Undertale, not a very good-looking game, and, of course, it, it made a huge, huge impact on the RPG scene. I think the important thing is because there's such a flood of games in general now, the important thing isn't necessarily to have the best technology that, that can help if you can, if you can pull it off, but to just have a, a, a style, something that sets you yes. apart. Yes, absolutely. Something that you can like look at a game and say, oh, that belongs to so-and-so. Like You mentioned the Untitled Goose game. I'm going to look at that and immediately say, that's the Untitled Goose game. And of course, when people parody it, that's the style they use. So it's, it belongs to them. Honk. Honk, honk, house, house. And that goes back to with uh, Japanese RPGs, where so many of them have that anime cel-shaded look. And that's just going to immediately catch your eye, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, it's just something that draws your eye to it's funny to think about how like the first one of the first major games to use cell shading was uh, wind waker and everyone just lost their minds over it because they were so angry about cell shading or you look at octopath traveler a game that in realistically it kind of looks like a basic pixel art mobile game but they added that kind of nifty uh diorama cutout aspect to the way that it uh to its backgrounds and just immediately everyone's like i love this game this is incredible yeah, like, I still want to see Final Fantasy VI done in that style. Um, not everyone agrees with me, but I think that not just the the pixel art, but also the um, the effects they used. Like, there's a, there's towns with snow in them where the snow actually looks very, very realistic, like coming from a, a place where snow is pretty much constant in the winter. Just the way it falls and the kind of gentle blue light that comes in the evening when it's snowing, like, they nailed that really well. I think the worst thing you can do is to go with a really generic 2.5D uh, look because it might save you money, but if you look boring, then people are just going to ignore you. Uh, case in point, Secret of Mana remake, uh, also the Tokyo RPG Factory games. Yeah, I'm, I'm sad to say the Tokyo RPG Factory games are very much generic town, even though um, the latest one was starting to show a little bit of its own personality. Yeah, Oninaki had a, a more style, and I feel like people reacted a bit better to it this time around. They did. Like, it didn't fade into total nothingness, but um, I, I enjoyed what I played because I feel like uh, they had a, a good idea that they could build upon. And you're right, the the arts, even though it still wasn't exactly like the most distinct style in the universe, there was something a little more to it that made it stand out just a little bit more. And then on the flip side, Persona 5, one of the most overly stylized <laughs> games ever made. <laughs> what, what did I call it? I call it the most extra game in the universe. I love it. It's so ridiculous. But I mean, you look at screenshots, and you're like, I want to play this game. <laughs> it's like, I love just what they did for him for Smash and everything like the, the whole, you know, infiltrating the game awards and everything looks so stylish and cool and they made a whole animation just for that i i love persona 5 is just like energy it has so much of it and again a game that by no stretch of the imagination is technologically advanced but it looks so beautiful anyway that it's just it looks like a big budget game it does, and that's really interesting how they disguise that because, yeah, it's a game that runs perfectly well on the PlayStation 3 as well. I think Katie compared the version and found no difference whatsoever, but it can easily fool you into thinking, oh, this is a game for, like, just made yesterday. This is now. 
So, but at the same time, JRPGs can be big budget and high technology. You don't see it very often. It's mostly from Square. Yes. So Final Fantasy VII Remake is an example. Yeah, that's a very big uh, budget sort of like uh, gala performance they're putting on there. And I think Tales of Arise might be there too. Yeah, I guess that's possible. I haven't really paid much attention to Arise. Yeah, I haven't. I mean, well, we're still kind of learning about it, but we, we'll yeah. perhaps learn new information relatively soon. Yeah, um, I really need to feel to fill that that tails gap in my life. <laughs> oh, good, I'm dismissed. I, I mean, I I have no particular hatred for the tails series, but I also don't really get it. Maybe maybe Eric can explain it to me sometime oh, if we ever right. do a uh, a deep dive into the tails series. He's definitely the guy you want to recruit for a deep dive into Tales. He will he will tell you all about Tales. I love that I hired somebody who was like, oh, yeah, I'm really into esports. And then he goes, oh, by the way, also, I love Mass Effect and Tales. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, he has a very interesting palette of tastes. So I mean, I, I guess I'm drawn to those kinds of people, huh? Yeah, apparently. Good job. The unfortunate thing about these big budget, high technology RPGs like Final Fantasy VII Remake is that Square Enix feels the need to mainstream them somehow. And I think that actually JRPGs are more fun when they mix nostalgia with innovation in systems. Yes, I'm actually quite curious to see how Final Fantasy VII Remake does with like... um I mean, there's people like us, of course, who, who love Final Fantasy when we first played it and we still love it. But there's also a lot of people, like people I used to work with, et cetera, who um, they loved Final Fantasy when it came out and they still have nostalgia for it. But are they going to look at Final Fantasy VII Remake and say, that's something I want? Or are they going to say, this is a little too high class, high tech and different. I think I'm going to give this one a miss. I don't think so. <laughs> you don't think so? I don't know. I, I wonder. I'm very curious about that. I just don't want it to be a mindless action game. It, I don't think it's going to be a mindless action game. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm impatient for it. I mean, like Final Fantasy XV is a good-looking game and does some things right, but I think it's in- compromised in a lot of ways by its desire to be this blockbuster set-piece-driven game. Well, yeah, we do kind of start with a, 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 a cover by Florence and the Machine, so that just kind of says it all, I suppose. I think what a lot of people want is, and maybe this is just me projecting my own desires, because I'm stuck in a bubble. But wouldn't you say that there would be genuine excitement over a, I don't know, a turn-based classic RPG, JRPG, but with the level of technology that you would find in Final Fantasy VII Remake or, heck, Assassin's Creed Odyssey? I think there is definitely room for that. I don't know if Square Enix would take the the plunge and make it like a mainstream Final Fantasy game. I don't know if they really have the, the courage to do that, but... I see where you're coming from, and I really do think, and again, this might be me projecting because, of course, I love menu-based uh, RPGs, but I feel like that would generate a lot of excitement or at least a lot of curiosity. It and, would get people um, talking. It Exactly. It would get people talking because it's been so long since we've seen, like, a menu-based RPG that that wasn't just done in, like, a kind of cel-shaded pixel style, like something really high-tech, like even Final Fantasy VII, which has a menu-based system if you want to use it. It's not, the, it's not exactly the same thing as, like, you know, fight, run, magic item. So I yeah. I'd like to see that. Feels like the last one was Final Fantasy X. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, so that was a long time ago. I, I No, wait, Final Fantasy thirteen because that was still a menu-based game. Oh, see, I never played thirteen, so I can't say one or the other. And thirteen, just, like, I try to understand the story by reading it, and I'm like, I, I give up, forget it. I mean, I guess you could say Dragon Quest XI, but even then, 
it has a very particular look to it. Yes, it's a very sort of manga-based uh, cartoon style, which seems to fit the menu very well. So well, I don't nobody's going to say, I mean, it's a good-looking game, but nobody's going to say, it was like, oh, that's the top end right there. I mean, it works no. just fine on Nintendo Switch, for heaven's sake. There you go. Like, it, th- to be fair, they did an incredible job porting that over. But yes, I see where you're coming from. Like, if you got something that looked as realistic as, as Final Fantasy VII Remake and combined that with a, a visible menu at the bottom of the screen, like the old-fashioned days, how would people react? That I'm, I'd love to see. It's the old, I want Final Fantasy VI, but with the best possible graphics that you can muster. <laughs> I want everything in one bag, but you can't make that bag heavy. Yeah. And then also... I don't want freaking voiced cutscenes. Just give me text boxes. <laughs> now that one I would I wonder about because in some ways I've become so used to voices. Like that's actually one omission from Sword and Shield. I felt like they're gonna really use some voices right here. So oh, just I'm- just do what some games do, where you just have a character going mm, or <laughs> I wonder. You know, I don't remember which games do that, but I know exactly what you mean. I think does Fire Emblem Three Houses do that? Yeah, the- I think so. But yeah, also so, they have regular voices as well. Yes, yeah, I kind of like that. But you're right. I don't want to have like voice acting everywhere, but I do want to have like maybe at the start with some cutscenes or whatever. All right. And the last one, JRPGs have found a home on Switch, PS4, and Steam, which is good because if you look back a decade ago, uh, I, I want to say that JRPGs as a genre were a little bit homeless because, uh, I mean, you they were on the PSP, they were on the DS... You didn't really have RPGs on the PS3. The PS2 was very long in the tooth by 2010, was basically on its way out. But RPG developers were still kind of still making RPGs for Wii and PS2. And you didn't really have any presence whatsoever on Steam, which is, I mean, now you have tons of presence by JRPGs on Steam. Yeah, I think that's a very big one. The fact that JRPGs are really finally breaking into Steam, which is very funny when you think about the origin of of RPGs in general. They all started as computer games and... Uh, eventually, uh, I guess, Japanese developers realized, hey, here's a whole untapped market we were not taking advantage of. And to Falcom's credit, they were one of the first. They yeah, put all Falcom, those, yeah. Falcom was one of the earliest ones to jump on Steam and uh, make a big push there. And uh, plenty have followed. I mean, just in the past year or two, uh, Square has released most of the Final Fantasy catalog onto Steam at this point. Yeah, um, a lot of it is there. And uh, I, I'm glad that you have that option uh, because personally, like, as you said, uh, 10 years ago, RPGs were kind of homeless. Like, having them on handheld systems primarily made them feel like a bit of an afterthought. So having them on Steam, on PC, that was a, to me, that was a big step to giving them relevance again, especially since Falcom was concentrating on giving us these niche games. Like, they weren't afraid to give us all these Ease remakes. And I was like, oh, I've heard of Ease. But I never really got into the series. Let me try this. And I tried like, um, I can't remember if it was Oak and, Oath and Felgana or, or one of the really good ones. And I really, really enjoyed it. On the handheld tip, like I don't want to be too dismissive of RPGs that were on, say, the Nintendo DS or the PSP. But I mean, if a RPG came out on the PSP, like even a relatively high profile one like Final Fantasy VII Advent Children, its ceiling was relatively low because the PSP did not have, it was not hugely popular here in the U.S., no. Um, do you mean Crisis Core? I think you mean Crisis Core. I think Did Evan I say Children Advent was... Children? Crisis yeah, the Core. Advent... That okay, one. Okay, Crisis Core, yeah. Now, that's a game I'd love to see put on the Switch because you're right. That was a great game that very few people got to play because um, it was on the PSP. Same with the, the Dissidia games, which were a lot of fun. And then the Nintendo DS, hugely, insanely popular yeah. uh, system. 
had plenty of really great RPGs. Somebody was pointing out that we should have brought up like Radiant Historia, for example, as one of the best RPGs of the decade. Oh, I thought we talked about that because, yeah, I loved Radiant nope. Historia. Didn't bring it up even once. But, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. But Radiant Historia was also firmly a quote-unquote new game in an old style. Yeah, that was Atlas who released a lot of games like that then and now. Um, see, I only played Radiant Historia when it was on the 3DS. I, I, so, of course, I missed it the first time around and really, really liked it a lot. Um, there's actually an episode where uh, Anthony John Agnello and I uh, talk about Radiant Historia. So go, so go back and dig that up if you like. Yeah, I, I think that even with the Nintendo DS, I think the absolute highest profile RPGs on the DS were like Dragon Quest IX, a game that was always is always going to have a limited ceiling in the US. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, I would say Persona 5 like well exceeded its at least the level of mainstream hype versus DQ9. I wouldn't be surprised if DQ9 actually outsold it uh, just by virtue of how well it did in Japan. But uh, And then Pokemon? <laughs> <laughs> Good old Pokemon, always there in the background. Yeah. The DS gave us um, Heart, Gold, and Soul Silver, which were great. And of course, that's what we got Black and White and Black and White 2, which were pretty very, very solid Pokemon games. And then Monster Hunter was on the PSP as well. So, right, but which that was, was but it didn't thing. really become a thing until it was on the PS4. Exactly. Like once once Monster Hunter World came around, then it became more of a mainstream thing, but for gosh, the PSP here just did not make much of an impact. No, not really. It was too bad because it was a good it was a good platform, better than the Vita in my opinion. Oh, really? That's an interesting take. I don't think it's an interesting take. The Vita didn't have a library. Uh, there you go. When I'm thinking about hardware, but uh because I really love the Vita's hardware, except for that stupid freaking proprietary memory card. What a stupid, stupid idea. Anyway, I was yeah. standing in, uh, I was standing at uh, Sony Interactive Entertainment's headquarters last week, actually, and oh yeah, they have uh, a kind of a PlayStation history exhibit in their lobby. I saw that. Yes, and one of them was a PSP, which has a rolling, what's the word, a rolling demo reel from like 2011. Oh, nice. And I was kind of amazed at the broad range of games that were still coming out for it in 2011. Uh, like, EA was still releasing sports games for it. Of course they would be, yeah. Uh, MLB The Show was still coming out for the thing. It, a lot of uh, licensed games or versions of AAA blockbusters were still coming out for PSP around that time. Um, but in terms of JRPGs, a lot of JRPGs went to the PSP, which... I guess made them harder to access here because, again, the PSP was just didn't have a huge audience in the West, but it, it had people. It had its it had its fans. Like I said, yeah. my brother lost his, My brother lost mine. I miss Sting. 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 Uh, yeah, they made uh, Igra Union and Oh Lancer and a lot of really odd RPGs yes. that had really interesting outlooks and really interesting systems. Yes, the PSP was definitely a good system for developers who wanted to experiment a bit with, with JRPGs. Uh, there was a bullet hell tactics RPG that they made. Really? You know what I was thinking of, and this is a little bit off the topic, when I was uh, reviewing mobile games for uh, Atlas back in the day, and this is like 2011, 2012, whatever, Square Enix had a mobile game, it was an RPG or a tactics RPG, it was all based on music. All the characters had musicians' names, I think it has something to do with your soundtrack that you have on your phone. There was a, a arrow move called shot through the heart like the bon jovi song shot through the heart and you're too you know i love that song anyway so 
just thinking back on that, it was like a real experimental thing they did on mobile uh, that you can't do it today, obviously. You'll, you'll get sued in five seconds. But yeah, that was that was also a thing that happened. And the just for reference, that game was Nights in the Nightmare. <laughs> I like that name. But it was pretty rad. And and their games, you want to talk about games that looked good. They did a really good job of making their games look good. So it was a really cool time. All right. <laughs> let's let's talk about some of the biggest JRPGs uh, at the very moment. I mean, we've already talked about Octopath Traveler, Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest XI. I mean, Persona, uh, Xenoblade Chronicles. Yeah, Xenoblade Chronicles is a good Would one. you call that an A tier or was it more of a B tier? I would say it's more of a B tier, but it did sell quite well. I remember I did an interview with the creators. Uh, that was a hell of an interview because it was like over a phone and the translator had to like respond to me and then respond to them. But it was a it was a real case of broken telephone. But we had a good interview in the end and he talked about how uh, basically Xenoblade Chronicles sold much better than they anticipated, especially in the in the West. And the same went for the uh, Golden Country DLC. Definitely not the same name recognition as Final Fantasy, but... Uh, it's it's no sludge either, or no slouch rather. No sludge. No sludge. No smudge. No, uh, nothing is no smudge. Pokemon's never going away. <laughs> Pokemon's always going to be with us. It is is our friend. Pokemon is forever our friend. Temtem's interesting. Uh, it's, did you know that there are people selling uh, top level Temtems that have been perfectly bred or whatever for like four hundred dollars on eBay? It's ridiculous. Holy crap. That's, yeah. that's pretty crazy. That's uh, That sounds like it's going to get spin out of control real fast. And then if you look at some of the like smaller games, I mean, Tales still seems relatively healthy. Uh, Tales of Arise looks like an interesting turn for the series, I think. Atelier Ryza, uh, I was looking at, I'm not hugely up on that game, but its reviews are really good on pl- platforms like Steam. You, you want to talk about another series that has made its way to Steam and the Nintendo Switch which is kind of like the the one-two punch for JRPGs in 2020. Definitely. Uh, Atelier Ryza is a very attractive-looking game and with, like, relatively deep systems, and it's, like, super chill and everything, and also apparently has thighs, according to the reviews. <laughs> thick thighs. T-H-I-C-C. Of course, that's the good thick. I don't know what that means, but I think it's good. <laughs> it, it is good. It, it's basically complementing curves. Yeah, uh, people really like this game in general. It has like a 75 on Metacritic, oh. and but very high like uh, approval on Steam, like something like 90%. Yeah, so that, that sounds interesting. See, I, I don't really know anything about the game. 9 out of 10 with uh, 2,500 reviews. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe it's just one of those games where it just really resonates with the fans and the critics kind of like said, oh, it's pretty well, the good. The Switch and, version has 84% on Metacritic. No, oh, that's not bad. Yeah, I sort of feel like this is like a blind spot for us. Definitely sounds like it's going to be one of those blind spots. Yeah, like, are you a big Atelier fan, dear listener? You should, uh, after you're done yelling at me for my Vita (laughs) takes, um, do me a favor and send me a note because I'm curious to hear what what really draws you in. I played Rorona a long time ago and I was taken aback by just, it was actually pretty good. It's a good it visual has... novel type thing. I think Ryza might be a little bit different. Did it have thick thighs? Uh, it had lots of beautiful boys, B-O-I-S. Oh, I can deal with that. And then meanwhile, there are some of the series that seem to have just kind of disappeared, like Etrian Odyssey. Will it come back? We don't know. We really don't know. We saw that teaser like years ago that is coming to the Switch. Um, I really do hope it does. 
the last game they released for the 3DS, Next was it Nexus or something like that? It was a really great game. I enjoyed it. Uh, Etrian Odyssey games, even though I'm really not into dungeon crawlers, I, I find something very enjoyable about just kind of mapping them out. They're very satisfying. And of course, the the soundtrack is so chill. Like that was the thing that drew me in at first, just how chill everything sounded. And it's like, oh, you're full. You're in a dungeon where things can really kill you very easily. But just kind of relax. It's not a big deal, you know. <laughs> I I really want them to find a way to make it work on Switch because yeah. I desperately want a super nice chill HD dungeon crawler along those lines. Yes, I I am very curious to see how they make it work on the Switch. And it's like I'm thinking maybe they could. No, it wouldn't work where they use the Switch as a second screen. It just wouldn't work. But uh, I don't know. I don't know what they're gonna do. I think what you got to do is you have the map in a corner and then you press like L L L B. And yeah. it expands out, and then you can kind of fill in the map as you go. Yeah, make it uh, vertical and use the flip grip. It's not the same, obviously, and it would impact how, like, the U- making a good a UI that actually worked with this and not feel crowded would be very difficult without a second screen, but that seems problem. like that's the only, like, viable way to really make it work, unfortunately. Yeah, I've heard a lot of criticism about Super Mario Maker 2, as good as it is, it feels a lot more crowded because you don't have that second screen to work with. Alas, it seems Valkyrie Profile is pretty dead. I'm sorry, uh, Kat. They keep insisting on making mobile games and getting my hope up, hopes up and then making me sad. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kat. Maybe someday. No, it's over. It's, it's over, people. We don't have a prayer. Someday I'm going to win the lottery and just finance an HD remaster of Valkyrie Profile just because that's what I want. <laughs> I support that endeavor. Yeah. With skippable cutscenes. <laughs> <laughs> of course. That's the main thing. All right. So that's about it for our big overlook at uh, overview of the state of JRPGs. Nadia, any major takeaways? Uh, we are definitely in a good spot right now. There's a lot of RPGs coming up on all these different systems that I'm really looking forward to. We have a nice mix of, you know, indies to anticipate. Uh, we have, you know, really big budget uh, releases coming out soon. We have those middle-of-the-road things. Uh, I'm looking forward to the Persona 5 remake or uh, expansion, whatever you want to call it. Uh, of course, Fire Emblem is getting more content. There's going to be a lot to keep me busy for a while, and I'm okay with that. I would like a greater spread of JRPG developers that are, like, good. Because I feel like maybe JRPGs are a little bit too heavy on classic franchises at the moment. Maybe where- a bit, yeah. I mean, you look at what are, what are the biggest JRPGs we're playing? Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, Persona, Fire Emblem, all RPGs, all franchises that have been around since the PlayStation era, at least, sometimes even the, sometimes the even the 8-bit era. era, you know? <laughs> yeah, although we still get surprises. We, again, Disco Elysium, you just never know. I mean, but that's not a JRPG. Yeah, that's fair. I guess you're right. Like, name me a really good recent jrpg franchise like it's hard for me to come up with one just off the top of my head and even when they do they tend to be a little bit tropey which is unfortunate yeah i see where you're coming from but uh I, uh, yeah so i i understand like you want just like jrpgs in particular to, to spread their wings and, and try new things new developers new ideas i mean like xenoblade chronicles is like relatively original and it's the thing that came out in the past 10 years yeah that's a good that's a good example uh, and also, if you look at, uh, for example, Nino Kuni, which was basically, you know, it's Ghibli. It's a Ghibli RPG, but that's fine. It right? really is. I, I'm okay with that. 
uh, Nino Kuni 2. There was a game I played all the way through and hated myself the whole time for it. I'm like, I hate this game. I love this game. I hate this game. I love this game. Oh, I hate myself. Oh, God, I'm done. <laughs> it would be nice if we could get another studio to come in that isn't like one of the major players and kind of create its own franchise. Uh, I mean, because it, I don't know, like the JRPG space, it, it can be done right and can be mm-hmm. very satisfying. So, yeah, I agree. Um, who knows what we'll see with it through the magic of crowdfunding where Japanese developers are really jumping on that lately, as we see with the wonderful 101. Yes, yeah, so let's party like it's 2012 again. <laughs> Woohoo. Please I look forward it. to a couple years from now when everybody's like, wonderful 101 stole my money. Where did it go? I haven't gotten my rewards yet. I'm blocked on Twitter. I expect Platinum will actually get the game out just like they did Bayonetta 3. Uh, yeah, that's, um, we're all playing that and enjoying that right now. All right. Do you have your own thoughts on the state of JRPGs? Leave a comment in the show notes or send me an email at cat.bailey.usgamer.net or DM me on Twitter. Please don't yell at me too much for my Vita takes. <laughs> yell, yell. Actually yell at me. I don't care. <laughs> Smudge <laughs> all is ready. Caps. Anything that's not all caps is getting thrown in the garbage. I look forward to our console RPG quest for the PlayStation Vita, by the way. Oh, that's going to be real fun. Uh, then, because, oh my god, I'm going to be so mean to it. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Vita. I mean, it really is a case of kicking a console when it's down, though, right? Oh, yeah, it's it, it can't fight back, it can't bite back, it has no teeth left. Because it's dead? It's totally dead, it's like kicking a, a stiff, like, dog in an alley. Kicking a course? I played so much Vita... I, seriously, though, I did actually play a lot of Vita. I bought one of those things at launch, all right? Yeah, no wonder you hate it. I, I have a lot of bitterness toward the PlayStation Vita. Or actually more towards Sony, if anything, because yeah. they really screwed it up. Makes me sad. Yeah, they really did not treat that console well. Yeah. All right, Nadia. So, interestingly, a lot of people had thoughts on naming their RPG protagonists. Yes. Um, thank you very much for if you responded to that, because uh, I think it's a very interesting topic. Yeah. Okay. So this one is from Ryan, and it's at Ryan Nims. Okay. And they say, are you naming RPG characters? A protag is always some variant of Rye, and where available, I name a party member after my wife. Also, if I can name a dog, it's always named after one of my IRL dogs. See, I always name the pet Hamish because that's my cat's name. Aw, yeah. I always kind of go with the, like, toothless because that's my cat. Uh, Other party members are usually just friends of mine. However, Persona games break that rule in that I always choose a Japanese given name beginning with R. And finally, I used to name my Pokemon, but in more recent games, I've fallen out of the habit. Not really sure why. For a while, I was naming the Chosen Starter after one of my pets. Yeah. For a while, I was naming every Fire Starter in Pokemon Char because <laughs> why Gundam? not oh i was gonna say i thought like you know char like charmander fire yeah well that too that's the okay. point it's char charmander fire also char as enable you know it works i didn't know that about gundam so there you go so carlos Pereira says hey cat great episode as always just putting it out there i always name the main characters in rpgs after my children and thus i role play on how i would like act like them I would like them to act in the situations the games demand. Then I can translate these situations the characters find themselves into real examples for my kids. Wow. Um, don't do that with Dragon Quest V. <laughs> Love uh, Mauricio from Brazil. P.S. I have been playing DQ11 on my Switch since launch. I managed to play 25 hours so far. 
that's as much gaming as I can manage with two small kids. Uh, well, the beautiful thing about RPGs, especially if you have a Switch, is if you have a small child that you can carry in your arms, you can play Switch while they're just, like, sleeping there. <laughs> uh, from my experience with toddlers, uh, they just tend to get very bored very quickly and start hitting your, your Switch because they want to play it. A good friend of mine uh, has been playing Pokemon with his daughter, and it's very cute. Oh, that would be very cute. I do kind of, like, regret the fact I don't have a little kid to play Pokemon with. She, he said that he wasn't so sure about the Dynamaxing thing until mm-hmm. his five, four-year-old daughter saw a Pokemon Dynamax and went absolutely berserk with joy. <laughs> See, that's what it all comes down to. I call that, like, the Luigi bum factor because I just remember sitting at some event Nintendo was hosting and playing Luigi's Mansion 2 on the 3DS and being very serious and analytic about it. And the little kid playing next to me is like, hee hee, Luigi fell on his bum. So <laughs> and that's just what it comes down to with video games, I think. I think I feel personally attacked by this take by Nice Guy Neon. Big facts, only Slytherin Sync Dark Souls isn't a role-playing game. <laughs> Uh-oh. You've been it's an out. action game. Yes, it pulls, it pulls from RPG traditions and has dungeon-crawling elements. But at its heart of hearts, it is a freaking action game. Well, you're Slytherin now. I'm sorry, Kat. No. So <laughs> <laughs> right. I though uh, that was a pretty Slytherin move of me to completely dump on the Vita like that. Just out that of was very very Slytherin. That was your inner Slytherin. Quite Slytherin. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. I just to the dungeon with me, along with those kids dungeon. who are starting the anime club in Fire Emblem Three Houses. <laughs> Lady Rhea said it's a sin. You can't you can't have anime and Garag Mock because it's a sin. I think if any developers, RPGs are not stood out this decade, it was from software for having a consistent slate of quality releases. I spent most of the decade constantly playing some iteration of From Software game. All this talk about best of the decade has me contemplating a few RPGs to play from the last decade that I missed. Disco Elysium, D- Divinity, Original Sin 2, and Undertale. Where do you all recommend I start? Oh, well, I mean... Depends on the flavor that you want. Uh, yeah. Divinity Original Sin 2 is a quite an intense and deep game. Undertale can be finished relatively quickly, and Disco Elysium will, is a very dense and thoughtful RPG. So it's yeah. a question of systems, uh, storytelling, or just a, an emotional RPG that you can get through quite quickly. Yeah, I would say if you are already very familiar with the RPG tropes, um, you would have a great time with Undertale because it's a good warm-up game. That still really delivers an intense story. And Sammy J9 says, I think my biggest takeaway from looking back at the last decade is that even though there are a lot of problems in the gaming industry right now, like AAA game development problems, loot boxes, toxic online discourse, etc., I can't help but feel like gaming is still in a much better place than it was in 2010, especially as big a fan of J- Japanese games. The resurgence of the Japanese market, especially for RPGs and stuff like the Souls games, has made the last few years feel special to me. And the Switch is a big part of that. I feel like any time that Nintendo is doing well and succeeding at kind of being its own, in its own lane, so to speak, it's good for the industry as a whole. My other big takeaway from the last decade is just how big an impact the rise of indies has had on me. I love Metroidvania, so it's hard to imagine going back to a world where I don't get dozens of amazing new ones every year now. (laughs) Yeah, we definitely have a lot of great Metroidvanias. Uh, Although I do find a lot of them kind of lean very heavily on the idea of challenging you, like, almost to a Dark Souls level. Uh, God forgive me for even making that comparison. But, um, see, I loved, I still love Symphony because it's so chill. Uh, Bloodstained is quite a chill Metroidvania as well. That's the Metroidvania I like. 
Um, I just was not huge on Hollow Knight. I just could not get into it because I just felt like it was too uh, a little too intense. I want to I want to focus more on exploration. Radical Defect says, My favorite overlooked RPG of the decade is Devil Survivor 2 Record Breaker. Tech- mechanically, it's Fire Emblem's tactical maps, plus the best parts of FSMT and Demon Cluckling. It also works in some elements of Persona's time management and social link system. If you're careless about it, your friends will literally die. Narratively, oh, no. I'd argue it has stronger writing than Persona 5 and most of the mainline SMT games to come since, but Kat's absolutely right about the art style. It has to grow on you. As an added bonus, the blessed difficulty makes things even more accessible. I wish more people would give it a try. I think I already mentioned that I, would, I wouldn't I would mind a Devil Survivor 3 for Switch. Yeah, I don't know very much at all about Devil Survivor, but um, it, it's like SMT or? Uh, it's a tactics RPG. It's a nice metric yeah. tactics RPG for the 3DS and DS mm. in which the world is going to end. And so you have time advances that way. And when you're on the actual map... You approach enemies, and then it shifts to a more traditional first-person battle screen, kind of like Strange Journey. Ah, well, that sounds really interesting. I should give that a try. Yeah, and then you have the you can recruit the persona, or you can re- uh. recruit the demons and bring them into your party, and right. that is how you uh, you fight and everything. And yeah. uh, it's ooh, the bosses are quite difficult, like very punishing, but it's an enjoyable game, I think. Hmm. Yeah, so I'd like to see that come to uh, just uh, install and come to Switch for that. Okay, thanks to everybody who wrote in. Axel Blogout is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. And we love hearing from you, so send me a note on Twitter through DMs or through email or leaving a note um, if you have any comments. But if you want to troll me over my Vita takes, be, be gentle. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the one who ignited the dynamite here, Cap. I know, I know. And uh, next week we'll be back with a new entry in the console RPG quest with the Sega Dreamcast and a surprise special guest. So... Please look forward to that. In the meantime, we'll be back, as always, next week to talk about all the wonderful RPGs in this broad, broad world. The Blood God loves them all. But until then, for Nadia and myself, thanks for listening. And until next time, happy adventuring. 